that just shows you if we were going to do a movie about her, some of the things that are going to be in it. Oh, yeah. And whoo! It feels like a different movie has stumbled into this vampire film that we're watching, which just gives it such a weird richness. It's a fantastic character and a fantastic performance. The thing is that she's immediately, quietly, effortlessly alpha. Yes, we know it's been a while, but we are back. Apologies. It's the Fright Club podcast, and welcome to it. She is Hope Madden. He's George Wolf, and we are from MadWolf.com. I think the best way to describe it is we got we got distracted. It was it was Oscar season. Yeah, and for us, it's Oscar like season is like yeah, it's like um, St. Patrick's Day for an Irish band. Right. I mean, we were a little busy, a little distracted, uh, making our picks that are always so so good. And, <laughs> And I would like to say we nailed it this year, but we did not. No, we did not. Of course, who did, who really did? Yeah, nobody. I mean, nobody saw that nobody. Anthony Hopkins coming. But anyway, so uh, apologies. We are back with a great topic. That this is one of those. You know, it reminded me of. It reminded me of the movie yesterday, the Beatles one. Yeah. Because I read that um, the director Danny Boyle, when they came to him about it, he was sure. Somebody had already done a movie like that. Right. And I was sure we had already done this topic. Right. Because well, it's so good. It's so natural. And we've been talking about this topic for years. Yeah. I think what it was is that we did um, a, a blog. Maybe we even did a, a, a segment for the paper when we used to write for. Not about horror, but about just side characters yeah, in general. In general. Right. Yeah. yeah. I think that's what threw me. But what we're talking about here is the best side characters in horror movies that deserve their own movie. So that's cool, and that's got a lot of people. We threw that out on Twitter. We threw it out on the Fright Club podcast Facebook group. What did I? It took me about a minute and a half to, <laughs> men, to mention it. Join it. Send an invite. Well, uh, or not an invite. Send a request, and and we'll grant it. But uh, so it had a lot of people talking, which is an easy indication, quick indication that it's a lot of fun to think about. What are some of the best ones? I, mean, I know we got a lot, both on all sorts of the social medias, on Twitter, on Facebook, whatever. So what, are we, what were some of the best suggestions? So some of my favorites, I think my very top favorite, because it hadn't occurred to me, good old Seth, the mom and dad from Raw. That's great. It is, because I want to know what is going on there. I do, too. And I think that's, right, that's the criteria. When you just look at these guys and go, I want to know what's going on over there. Yeah. When that, you just even when you when you leave the movie and it's not about these characters, but you're talking about it and you go, what's up with such and so? Right. What's up with the parents from Raw? Because as much as we like that movie, and you know we've talked about it a lot, at the end when the parents come in, like, that's just the capper. Oh yeah, that that it's it's so great. That's a great suggestion. Yep. And then um, basically everyone who was in the titty twister has gotten a call out <laughs> from Dust Till Dawn. Everybody who was in that bar has gotten a call out. In particular, Dustin and John, John Billy, they both had some specific requests. Uh, Sex Machine seems, he's very popular. Mm -hmm. That's a good one. He's very popular. That's a good one. And this is one you're going to love. This has got a lot going for it. There's a lot behind it. And I know how you always say that you don't ever get to make any decisions on this, but something tells me that I'm going to get a big fat no out of you from this. Chop Top. It's a no. In fact, Lewis, uh, so Charlie, our friend Charlie voted that on Facebook, but Lewis on Twitter said, there is no other answer. Oh, there's plenty of other answers <laughs> uh, here in this room, right here. I know I'm in the minority, but I didn't say what's up with Chop Top at all. I said, how long till this movie's over? <laughs> but you guys love it and go, you know, be successful with it. 
So our friend Schlocketeer, and if you don't know him, Daniel Baldwin, he's a regular part of our other podcast, the, street, the Screening Room Podcast, mm-hmm. Schlocketeer. Yep. He had a whole list. He could do his whole own podcast. He had like yeah. six options, like that. Blam, there they were. And they were great. And my favorite one was Dr. Decker from Nightbreed. Of course, Cronenberg. Mm -hmm. And this also gives us an excellent opportunity to geek out over the fact that Cronenberg has a new body horror. What? With Viggo Mortensen. Nice. Called Crimes of the Future. And I'm incredibly excited. Is that this year or next year? Well, they're going to film this summer in Greece. So it's hard to say. Greece is the word. Crimes of the Future. Looking forward to that. So, yeah. uh, What else? Brandon suggested... Christopher Walken's vampire character from The Addiction. Yeah. And you know what? Christopher Walken has done countless excellent side characters across his career. And you know who else has? Willem Dafoe has done side characters in 300 movies, and almost any of them would be an interesting Yeah, I agree agree with that. And also, Melissa suggested, uh, I think she might have been the first one to comment on the Fright Club Podcast Facebook group. And she said, Renfield. She did say Renfield, and that has got a lot of, of response uh, and which Renfield? I think that's the question. Mm-hmm. And and I think the consensus is Tom Waits. I agree with that. Yeah, me too. I'm all on board with Tom Waits, Renfield. And then Jordan, he also had like three great suggestions, my favorite of which was Dylan Baker's character in Trick or Treat. That's oh. a good plan. Oh, he is, he's a definite what's up with that guy. Oh, yeah, exactly. For sure. Those are great. And I think all those recommendations just show that we're probably going to have to do at least a part two of this. Yes. Which is why once we get into it, we didn't number them. No. We didn't go one through five or whatever. Uh, we're going to do an alphabetical order because all are just very, it was hard to separate them into what is best. These are just some of our favorites, and we know that we're probably going to have to do at least a part two. Right. Well, also because part one is just the ladies. Oh, that's right. Yeah. That was my idea, too. It was. It? You're yeah. like, because we had, I mean, right off the bat, we had about 300. So, yeah. like, okay, we're going to have to parse this out in some <laughs> yeah. way. So, let's start here. The ladies. That's Since, right. Well, it is Mother's Day weekend. That's, so that's right. You know, then happy, happy Mother's Day, moms, starting with you. Thank you. Yeah. So, okay. So, that's some of the good recommendations. You want to get into this? How many we have? We have seven. Yes. In alphabetical order. And uh, all the ladies. Ladies first. So let's start in 1983. This is a goodie. This is one of the first ones I think that came to your mind. This is from 1983's Sleepaway Camp, Aunt Martha, played by Desiree Gould. You're going to enjoy living with us so much. Yes, I know you are. As a welcome home present, I bought you such wonderful new clothes. I just hope that Richard doesn't get jealous that I didn't get him anything. Oh, but then he is such a dear. I'm sure that he won't mind. You see, I've always wanted a little girl. But of course, when my husband left... Oh, well, that's all water under the bridge, as I always say. Water under the bridge. But it certainly will be a nice little surprise when Richard comes home to find a little girl in the house. Okay, that clip is near the end of the movie, obviously. And it had to be because... If you had it any earlier, it would be a clear giveaway as to what's going on. There are a lot of flashbacks throughout, uh, not just to to Aunt Martha, but to the, the tragedy that that got Angela to be staying with Aunt Martha. And all of them, all of the flashbacks, so weird, so weird. <laughs> and uh, and Aunt Martha, Desiree Gould, is just, she's just magnificent, you know? And, and it, that is, it's one of the things where even the first time I saw it, I'm like, what is the deal with this lady? I want to know more. You know who she reminds me of? She reminds me of one of our favorite moments ever from John Stewart's Daily Show. Remember when they went out to the, the where the people were dressing up as famous first ladies? Yes. And the one who and it was it was a guy dressed up as Mrs. Andrew Jackson or whatever. Yeah. And she was saying, Oh, I, 
I would tell you to please not get so close to me or yeah, something like that. Because reminds me of that person. Yeah, because it, and he wasn't he's just like a guy with yeah. like, you know, middle aged man haircut and glasses. He didn't have any makeup on, <laughs> but he was wearing this fancy, you know, first lady's gown yeah. and he was taking on her persona. In a very creepy way. It was very strange. And the way that she, especially in that clip, the way that she's talking yeah. about my little girl, oh, it, just, yeah. it made me think of that. Oh, yeah. No, I can definitely see that. And she's just so theatrical and, and flamboyant oh, yeah. and not right in a way that is so, like, the performance style is is absolutely different from the entire rest of the film, which is a, another reason why it's just so fascinating to me. I have to say, Judy... Of the uh, of the high side ponytail, mm-hmm. she also would make a great character. Karen Fields yeah, plays Karen Judy. Fields. Yeah, she's she's another favorite, but not nearely to the degree of Aunt Martha. Aunt Martha is just a gem, right? Because especially when you get to this speech, all of that just makes you wonder. Okay, you you get the fact that she's being he's being dressed in women, in uh, girls' clothes, but what else? Right. And it makes you well. Okay, what? There's more. It's not just the clothes. There's got to be more. Especially the way she she hangs her head. You know, and just looks at the floor like, oh, man, there's a lot going on here that we're oh, not yeah. seeing. Oh, yeah, because Angela doesn't talk. <laughs> Angela doesn't say anything. Yeah, so this is for sure one of those where what's what's up with that? And you're immediately, all that is taken from your mind when you get to the, the shocker at the end. Yeah. And that's what you're left with. But still, if you start really thinking about this movie, and it has it's become such a cult classic and has so many big fans... That that's one that a real what's up with that that sticks out at you. Yeah, and I you know I just want to say again before we move on to that I love sincerely Sleepaway Camp. It's such a weird movie. It has so many bizarre things that completely separate it from any other you know camp horror film. It is so much better than any of the other camp horror slashers that come out in the eighties. It's unbelievable. I absolutely love this movie. Yeah, I think a lot of people. I don't love it as much as you do, but I think a lot of people agree with you. Yeah, it really has, and I think it's only gained in notoriety and gained in appreciation over the years. I think that's for sure. So uh, our first in alphabetical order of horrific lady side characters that uh, we want to know what's up with Aunt Martha from 1983's Sleepaway Camp. All right, let's move up to the 2000s. This is 2008 and a movie that we've talked about a lot. And we've always mentioned our respect for this character. Played by Catherine Bagan from Martyrs, Mademoiselle. On a tout essayé, même les enfants. Il se trouve... Que les femmes sont plus sensibles à la transfiguration. Les femmes jeunes, c'est comme ça, mademoiselle. Now another one. You, I mean, there's no way that you come away from the movie Martyrs without wondering what was the deal with. They just call her the creature. Yeah, with the the uh, metal thing on her head. Oh um, yeah, yeah, for sure. Yeah. Now this is obviously this is from the original yeah. of Martyrs, two thousand eight, and Mademoiselle just holds. Obviously, she holds the secrets. There, there is some explaining. She, you finally get from a speech that she gives what's behind what they're doing. But still, there's so much not said. Of oh course, my God. something very very vital at the very end that's not said, and she just did the whole air of not only mystery but. But uh, but she's got a commanding air about she her does. that that she is in charge of this whole operation uh, and just and just the way she looks with the wrap on her head and the glasses and 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 her presence about the whole thing especially the way this cult like group just looks up to her she's a fascinating character oh and the way that she can you know just dispassionately explain yeah. to to somebody who 
who has suffered more than anybody. I mean, it's it's yeah, her speech, that speech is brilliant. The way that the character plays itself out in this film is is absolutely brilliant, stunning, glorious. I love this movie so much. And, and as we've talked about before, it almost plays like three separate films. And she's only in the, the third part of the film. Mm-hmm. And she's she, like, like you said, I mean, she's such a commanding presence that you believe yeah. that she has the wherewithal to talk in this way to this woman that she's done all this to and to do what she does with the with the cult. And, and maybe the, the time that she has on screen and the things that she says give you a little more a little more detail. If you were to ask what's up with her, you get a little bit more. But in that speech and she's showing all the pictures yeah. that just shows you if we were going to do a movie about her some of the things that are going to be in it oh yeah and whoo i mean if she's involved in all of that i mean she couldn't be involved in all of it cuz it goes back probably before maybe she was even alive or involved yeah. but the fact is you're going to see some heavy stuff in a movie about her as you saw in this movie yeah. but there's a lot to a uh, lot to dig into with mademoiselle and i think she'd be a perfect character uh, to to have her own movie yeah no i totally agree i'd go <laughs> Definitely. From 2008, The Original Martyrs and Mademoiselle, uh, directed by Pascal Laguerre. Yeah, who, you know, he's gone on to make a couple of other films, none of which have been very good. So, and they've been English language films. So, my yeah. hope is that he just goes back to French films and makes another good one. Soon. Yeah, and Catherine Began, she has a long list, long list, mainly French films, but she's done a ton of, oh, a, yeah. a ton of films. But because of the, the look in Martyrs, you might not recognize exactly. her in seeing in seeing a lot of. I know at the end she takes her uh, her head headdress off and shows her hair and everything, but still, I think she's got a look that you might not recognize if you see her pop up on the Late Show. But uh, we love Mademoiselle, and that's number two on our list, going alphabetically. The ladies this time, side characters in horror. We want uh, a standalone movie about this one is from 1968's classic Rosemary's Baby. It's Oscar-winning Ruth Gordon as Minnie Castavet. He chose you out of all the world, out of all the women in the whole world. He chose you. He arranged things because he wanted you to be the mother of his only living son. No! Oh, look at his hands and his feet. Justin from Facebook, he actually requested both of the Castavets, Roman and Minnie, but yeah, still, it's a quite great... A oh, my God, it's a great, it's a great idea. And, of course, she's just... Ruth Gordon is just... She's just so magnificent. I mean, of course, she, is. she won the Oscar. Yeah. She's just so great. She's harmless and funny and dear and weird and annoying. And at the same time, she's, you know, she's leading this satanic cult. And she thinks nothing of just kind of taking over this woman's body and taking her baby from her. Oh, my God. She's just, it's the most amazing performance. Yeah, she's such a, an interesting individual. And if you would see her, I used to see her when I was a kid on all the talk shows. And that was before I was old enough to see Rosemary's Baby. And then later I realized that she won an Oscar for it. And I would always see her and just be a, just a, a weird kind of presence, but funny and endearing on these talk shows. And this movie obviously just kick-started her career because she won the Oscar. And then she went on to, uh, of course, Harold and Ma oh, yeah. and My Bodyguard. And it's, it's sort of a, a backhanded way of who you know that she got this role because her husband, she was married for years uh, to Garson Kanan who was a good friend of Richard Silbert, who was the production designer on this movie. And it was it was he who suggested her for the role. And he also suggested that the Dakota, which was that Upper West Side yeah. apartment, uh, be used for the Bramford. So both good choices. Oh, yeah. And she's just, she's such, even when she's just doing that, even something very small, like inviting, uh, inviting her to dinner, mm-hmm. just the way she speaks, oh, yeah. you're just like, 
you, you're you're liable to say, what's up with you? <laughs> oh, yeah. You know, it's so funny because it's, it's such a complete character. It's just a character that, you know, you feel like you kind of know this lady or you've known a lady like yeah, her. I mean, oh, she yeah. just, you know, she doesn't feel like somebody uh, like that, that uh, you know, that she just stepped into. She feels like a real living, breathing kind of nonchalant, busybody, too much eyeshadow on. You know <laughs> yeah. what I mean? And she's, gosh, she, in the way, mouse. Yeah, the ways, just everything about her. She's just the most fascinating character. And she's fascinating right up until the end because the very, very end, the reveal, when the whole group is just exalting and and you know leveling with with her about what's going on and who the baby is. Minnie is almost like, yeah, well, didn't she get it? Yeah. Didn't she know? <laughs> She's just like, yeah, it's, it seems different. The, the reaction is different from everybody else. And I guess in the book, the cast of Etzer delved into a little bit deeper in the fact that. It was Mr. Castavet that caused them to keep moving because he was always the one that would give up the ghost to people about what they were doing, uh-huh. what their group was doing. And I guess the book explains that that's why they have to keep moving on. And she's constantly disgusted with him, <laughs> which I can see. Oh, I can totally see that. Also, they're great names. Minnie and Roman Castavet. Yeah. Those are great names. The problem with having a movie about her is who are you going to get to play her? It would be, yeah. th- that's a tough act to follow because she's so indelible as a personality, as, as an actress in this, that it'd be hard. Not that somebody could do it, you could. No, but it would be pretty fun to see sort of her being constantly disgusted with Roman. Yeah. Just, I just want to see one of the other episodes where this didn't happen, it fell through, and they right. had to move again, Roman. <laughs> exactly. That'd be a funny one to watch. Because who, who was, you know, if you were going to do it, would you go the route of trying to do a Ruth Gordon impression or come up with your own ticks? It would be it would be interesting. It would be. Yeah. I mean, you'd ha- it'd have to be you'd have to be fairly, I think, faithful to it. You know, I mean, we're not the same people as old people as we were when we were younger. Right. But Which still would give you some freedom. You have to have some of the same some of the same stuff happening. Yeah. But I, I agree that would be that would be a fascinating standalone film, and and you're right, Roman has to be involved as well. Oh yeah, unless you go all the way back to before they met. But I think we we want to know about them as a couple yeah. and their involvement with this group. Right. I Honestly, think. I just want to see one of the other episodes that didn't work out for them. <laughs> yes, exactly. I right. think that would be fun. Yeah, it's it's interesting because we've talked about this movie before, and it's well known that. The screenplay was so faithful to the book, mm-hmm. but obviously you have to trim something. So that was a side a side plot that the, that they had to uh, get rid of. But that just sounds fascinating, yeah, and funny, yes, too. I think. Oh, I bet it would Especially be funny the way that Ruth Gordon played it out. So mini number three in our list from 1968's classic Rosemary's Baby. Moving up to uh, number four, and boy, this is very appropriate for this weekend. This is from the classic we've talked about before from 1971. It's from Daughters of Darkness and. Mother. Well, you see, Valerie and I were married three days ago in Switzerland. Nice surprise. I'm glad you're taking it so well. As always. I was wrong, after all. What you did wasn't foolish, Stefan. It was merely unrealistic. I should have known you'd say that. Stefan. Besides, whatever in the world will we do with her? I think of all of our side characters, Mother is the one with the least screen time, mm-hmm. although she is discussed. I love that movie so much because it just it, it just really kind of kicks off so many of the uh, like structural issues that you might expect somebody to follow. I mean, you start off with this newlywed couple and you can't really figure them out. Like, why are you even married to each other? Exactly. How did this yeah. happen? Yeah. He's kind of a dick, and he's from a lot of money, and, and she's just wondering, well, when are when am I going to meet your family? And the thing is, 
you're never going to meet his family. It just makes you wonder, you know, it always made me wonder in watching this film if if he intended to kill his wife anyway or something. Like, what what is going on with this? Which is one of the reasons I think the film is so fascinating. And then he talks about Mother a lot, and then he finally calls home, and you're like, well, what's going on? <laughs> that, that question keeps coming up. Yeah. What's going on? What's going on? And Mother is played by Fawn's. Rademakers, mm-hmm. a great name, known mainly as a filmmaker. He began as as a uh, theater director, and then his directorial debut was uh, Village by the River in 1958. Turned out to be the first Dutch movie ever nominated for an Academy Award. And then in 1986, he won the foreign language Oscar for The Assault. So uh, a very established filmmaker mm-hmm. as well. But yeah, uh, when they called home, <laughs> like... Wait, did you say mother or father when you're talking to this guy? Yeah, well, that's why I think it's funny is that they do say mother, yeah. you know, and that, but it's, and again, it's not like it's a man in drag. It's not like it's a, a, a trans woman. It's just a man. Yeah. And it just makes you wonder, what? <laughs> <laughs> and I love that they don't, for one second, explain any of it. I do, too. You know, and it, it, do, it feels like a different movie has stumbled into this vampire film that we're watching, which just gives it such a weird richness. Right, and it just it's one of the things that keeps you off balance yeah. about the movie. Yeah. Because you still, even when they hang up the phone or not talk to Mother anymore, you're still wondering, what what the heck was that about? Yeah, exactly. It, yeah, as, as, as things just build, and it just in, increases your feeling that something is not right. But I agree with you. Right away, you're thinking, this couple is... Is weird. Yeah, and I, I love that because you're, you're with this couple, and they've got all the momentum to be their own horror film, right? Their own thriller anyway. You know, this this naive woman and her husband, and they, there's money, and there's a train, and there's a hotel, and there's this mother that he's got to get home to, but that he's not going to bring his wife home to, and you think, what's going to happen? And then all of a sudden, there's Delphine Sirik. Mm-hmm. There's just this just dripping with glamour vampire, and it's like two different movies just come together in this big old hotel by like a wintry seashore. It's so brilliant. It's so unexpected and just just so deftly handled. It was so fun, too, to watch this on the big screen. It was. This was our classic um, a few months ago. Time has lost all meaning now. Uh, <laughs> for our, <laughs> our Fright Club film series, and uh, it was it was great to see a classic like this because it looks great. It really it's so does. Lush, it is, know, and and almost in a gothic sort of way, but much more colorful. Yeah. But everything is so elaborate. Yeah. Once they get to uh, the mansion there and it's the, the way things of, play out, you know, uh, the, the film to me when I the first time I saw the movie The Hunger, I thought the vibe that Daughters of Darkness does hit is the vibe that Tony Scott was trying to hit with The Hunger and, and didn't quite. To, to me, The Hunger's a great movie, but it's, it's kind of a glorious mess. Whereas I just think okay. I just think Daughters of Darkness is a masterpiece. I could see that. And Mother is a character that we could definitely see carrying her own movie. And it would be a weird one, but we'd be there for it. Uh, that is number four on our list. And number five, as we go in alphabetical order, this is probably my favorite. Yep. Because this is one of the first horror movies that I actually saw in the theater. And I love this character then, love it now. From 1976, The Omen and Mrs. Baylock. Well, now, if, um, if you let me see your boy. Well, yes, of course. He's upstairs. I'll show you where it well, is. Well, why don't you just leave us alone at first? Let us get acquainted in our own way. Well, he's shy with new people. Oh, no. Not with me, he won't be. Have no fear, little one. I am here to protect thee. 
First of all, how great is that name, Billy Whitelaw? Billy Whitelaw. That's a great name. Fantastic name, and she is so good in this movie. Not only is the character very important, yes. very pivotal, but just from the, the moment they meet, when she comes in and she's so so polite but stern, almost just like forces herself yeah. on them. And that, no, just leave us alone. And she's just so, she's commanding as she well. She is, quietly so, but. She was actually performing in a play um, in London when the film was being made. And she just called up and she actually asked if she could get out of making this film to continue in the play. But there was no one in the production office to take the call. So she had no choice but to show up for filming the following Monday. Wow. And the film is so much better for it. Because yes. you know, as it finally builds to, and her death is great. It's fantastic. Yeah. Fork sticking out of her oh hand God. and stuff. I loved it. And it just slowly builds to that. Um, you, you can feel it coming. She's just got this, this um, power that she's holding back, and you know it's going to be let loose. And it's a fantastic character and a fantastic performance. Yeah, because she's, you know, the thing is that she's immediately, quietly, effortlessly alpha. Mm-hmm. And you know she is because the dog is only going to listen to her. Right. right? That's the thing. I mean, there's there so many dogs in this movie and they all represent something important. But to me, the fact that this dog is fine when she when, when the mm-hmm. dog is around Mrs. Baylock, is just, that's that's how she shows up to be. She's yeah. just not going to tell you yep. because alphas don't. Yep. I'm in charge now. And, and she was. And apparently the biggest problem is shooting with that dog. And the dog was, looks so scary. But on set, the animal just wanted to play. Oh. <laughs> I know. <laughs> But they got it. They got it to look scary. And yeah, that's absolutely right. That's so. And we we talk about that a lot. It's not a horror film. But if you've ever seen the movie Killer Joe. <gasps> and if you haven't, you should. Which is a great movie. William Freakin, by the way. Right. Uh, early on, there's this dog that just will not shut up when anybody else is around, except when Matthew McConaughey yeah, comes Yeah, as in. soon as the first time he shows up, you, you, you just realize, oh, I don't hear that dog barking. Uh-huh. Yeah. Yeah, great. That's a really good, not really subliminal, but... Not an overt sign that yeah she is in charge. Just... But I, she is, and I, and I think that you, I think that it's not just the dog that notices it. Oh, yeah. You know, Robert Thorne. I mean, he can sense. I don't seem to have any authority with mm-hmm. this woman. Right. I don't seem to run the house anymore. Right, because he tells her to get rid of the dog. Yeah, and then she doesn't do nope. it. And then he's like, I thought I told you to get rid of the dog, and she says she wouldn't. Maybe not so much. Yeah, it's, yeah. and it's funny because you can just feel his helplessness. Like I'm not in charge here anymore. Yeah, yeah. So. A movie about her would, of course, focus on how many other, let's put it like missions yeah. she's been on yeah. before that. And, uh, or was she just training all this time, yeah. waiting for Damien? Yeah, fantastic. And again, you'd have to get somebody following up this performance oh, would yeah. be a tough the tough road because uh, Billy Whitelaw is so great. And it just adds so much to the movie. Mrs. Baylock, yeah, my favorite for sure. Uh, from The Omen in 1976. And number six out of seven. As we start this, this will have to be part one for sure. This is a favorite, and this is this. I think this got a lot of uh, recommendations yeah, yeah. On, on socials, didn't it? Uh, from 1982, from the classic Poltergeist, Tangina and the iconic Zelda Rubenstein. It lies to her. It says things only a child can understand. It has been using her to restrain the others. To her, it simply is. Another child. To us, he is the beast. Now let's go get your daughter. 
Yeah, I think right away on uh, Fright Club Pod on Twitter, Aramid said yeah. uh, it's Tangina from Poltergeist. And it's that's a great recommendation that I think when this question comes up, it's one of the first that jumps in people's minds. Because, you know, the movie is fascinating. Everybody loves it. There's so many great moments in that movie. But who's the character that you remember the most? Yeah. I mean, maybe the clown. But if yeah. not the clown... It's her. She's fascinating. You know, her voice yes. and her, you know, her command that she's wrong, by the way. The house is not clean. So she's really not good at her job at all, although she's a very comforting presence. Well, probably the most often repeated line, they're here mm -hmm. looking in the TV. But also, this house is clean. Yeah. That is an iconic line for sure. And the other thing that struck me as I was going back and watching clips from this and from her uh, specifically uh, to get ready for this I think people forget how well acted this entire movie oh is. Oh, my God. It's, it it's really magnificent. is. Magnificent. Joe Beth Williams will break your heart. And Beatrice Strait. Oh, I mean, yeah. This, it's, they're really solid performances, oh, which yeah. help, of course, as, as solid performances always do, help the characters resonate yeah. and help you really. Yeah, Joe Beth especially because you're drawn into her heartache as a mother. Oh, yeah. Can you imagine? You can hear your child and she's mm -hmm. in danger and she's crying, but you can't. Yeah. I mean, that would just make you crazy. But the way that Tangina explains yeah. it about being, she thinks the beast is just another child. Oh, yeah. But, oh, you're like, what? Oh, yeah. yeah that's an amazing, it's such a well-acted movie. It really is. And that's the thing about uh, Rubenstein's performance is that she's just got that soft, mm -hmm. lilting way of talking and it's calming and sort of scary at the same time. Yeah. Because it's like she's talking to a child and the way she's explaining to you. I mean, that, her performance is just magnificent. And she's such... And again, and that, she would be... Uh, that would be pretty fertile ground, I think, for other movies. Because this is what she does for a living, right? So, right. Uh, well, let's just see one of her other houses. Well, look, we're into now the... We're, we're coming up on, what, the third movie of The Conjuring uh, universe. And, right. And that's from her their files, right? Right. So I'm sure she had a bunch of files. Sure. Well, and think also <laughs> of the Insidious franchise, because yeah. it's very similar. You know, they're paranormal investigators that are involved mm -hmm. in all of those. So yeah, let's just see some Tangina files. <laughs> the Tangina files. Zelda filmed her part in six days, but she had to audition, the story goes, four times, which is weird to me, because I thought, I would think as soon as you would see her, boy, that would make such a presence, because even though she's small... Her performance just takes over the house yeah, and really the movie does. as soon as she walks in. Agreed. Yeah, she just walks. She does. She walks in like she owns a place. Yeah. <laughs> and then, of course, now you know she's iconic because she is the focus on a very funny meme. <laughs> You've seen the one where they show her a still frame when her hair is all flying around because of the wind, and it says something about that moment when the bass drops. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sorry. <laughs> So she's really cemented herself in popular <laughs> culture. Uh, but yeah, what a great performance and a great part. And you're right, that's perfect. The files, the Tangina files. I want them. Let's get on this, Spielberg. <laughs> Come on, man. And we'll just take a small cut. Small, <laughs> a teeny weeny percentage. But back to the original Poltergeist from 1982 for Tangina. Zelda Rubenstein, such a great side character in horror that needs her own files. Needs your own franchise. All right, we'll wrap it up alphabetically. Uh, number seven on our list, another Zelda. And this is the character of Zelda from 1989's Pet Cemetery. Is that you? I finally came back for you, Rachel. I'm going to twist your back like mine so you'll never get out of bed again. <laughs> never get out of bed again. Never get out of bed again! Never get out of bed again! 
Neither one of us are huge fans of the 1989 Pet Cemetery. Right. I think both of us have to agree that Zelda is an impressive character. Yes. Scary as shit. So, I mean, scary. So scary. Right away, the look. And I think that we should say the actor's name, a- Andrew Hubastek, which I almost said Hubastank, that band. Yeah. But it's it's Hubastek, which, which strangely enough, didn't do much uh, else. If you look at uh, the resume on IMDb, maybe one other movie, but, but whatever. Cut such a figure here. And, of course, part of it is the fact that he, a man, mm. is playing a, a frail woman. A frail woman, and uh, a part of it, they were, they were auditioning teen girls, and director Mary Lambert just didn't think that they were frightening enough, and, and thought of casting a man in the part to do something sort of like we talked about before in Daughters of Darkness, something just to throw you off, yeah, just to add something unnatural yeah. about about the character and definitely does well for i sure. think you know the, it, what it makes me think of is the ring and when the when the mm-hmm. uh, character comes out of the tv you mm-hmm. know in your head it's samara but it's not it's a man in yeah. a wig and a dress and there is something just uh, uh, startling and alar- monstrous about it and that's not just I mean, also the makeup and the kind of sort of the contortions, you know, the the back and the... Oh, yeah. But also there's something about these big hands that are mm-hmm. coming out, and he's got such a lean face, such yeah. an angular face. He's terrifying. It's a mixture in the in the scene, because, you know, it's not, it's not a big part, of also being simultaneously horrified and just racked with guilt mm-hmm. and how that would just haunt you. And then also the sense that, you're trapped forever with either this memory or, or you know, it's it's just a, it's a really startling and haunting scene. Yeah, because what it is, it's a different manifestation of death in yeah. this movie where the point is to come back from death mm-hmm. by being buried in this cemetery. But, yeah, you're right. She has obviously this story has haunted her yeah. forever. And then you get to see it play out and you see a totally different manifestation of death. And also the picture at uh, at her parents' house. That is a painting of Zelda as a child before she got sick. And then Gage is later seen wearing a similar outfit. And, and that's more of ties that also ties in that Zelda has come back through him mm-hmm. and give more evidence to the fact that she is not able to escape that. Mm-hmm. That incredible guilt and that yeah. incredible traumatizing event. So yeah, we're as I've said, we're not the biggest fans of this movie. It's got some problems, but this is one of the things that stays with you. This and Fred Gwynn getting his uh, back of his foot cut. Yeah, well, yeah, the moment with the truck. The moment with the truck is always, because oh, yeah. Gage is awfully cute. And yeah. then uh, and then um, the Ramon song. <laughs> I always like the Ramon song. And I should we should we should say also that Jamie Ray, our friend from the podcast Fave Five from Fans, he wanted to see, but his is very specific, he wants to see a spinoff movie with Gage and Chucky from Child's Play. So, hmm. I don't know. I might be able to get behind that. Okay. All right, have to say, tell me more. Yeah. Tell me more, tell me more about this. Well, since talking about Pet Cemetery, I always do the bad accents. you got to do the Fred Gwynn accent real quick. <laughs> Sometimes dead is better. <laughs> <laughs> awesome. And that is uh, Zelda number seven on our list of seven, starting with the females for Mother's Day of our favorite side characters in horror. So that's a good place to start and fantastic recommendations. So we'll, I don't know if we're going to do part two with the guys next or what, but we'll put we'll put it on social for sure, and we're gonna trust you to give some more great recommendations. I know you will once we get to once we get to that part of this part two. Uh, we'll put them up on Twitter and on the Fright Club podcast social medias, including the Facebook group. But you know, we got through this whole thing, and I realized usually we talk about last episode at the beginning. Yep. 
Last episode, <laughs> it's because it was so long ago, and that was probably my fault. We haven't gotten to another episode, but <laughs> it was a great episode. It was the 200th episode, which still blows my mind. Right. And our good friend Jason Tostevin was a great guest as we talked about a fantastic topic of movies, gr- movies that we like in horror but are too disturbing to watch a second time. Yeah, it was a, it was a great conversation. It really it is, was. It's always a great conversation we have Jason on, because he's a filmmaker, and he runs a film festival, and he knows what he's talking about. I mean, it's mm-hmm. always such a smart conversation uh, whenever he's on, so we're always happy, happy, happy that he can be on. And I thought this was a great topic. It was your idea, by the way. I just want to give you credit, because, of course, <laughs> I'm usually such a fascist I'll about these it. topics. <laughs> uh, and, I, and I did, I think that. And, and we got some great feedback. We really did. We did take some some uh, suggestions in advance, and then afterwards we had some great feedback. And it, and it was funny to me. First of all, Ben suggested that we do another podcast on traumatizing movies that deserve a second look. Okay. So that's a, I could get into that idea. And then Mike was surprised not to see Sallow on there, which is funny to me. I guess I thought that we would have brought it up, and apparently we didn't. And also, um, Angst. And also, I Spit on Your Grave. Now, Sallow and Angst, neither one of us, I mean... That just goes to show one of the things that we we talked about was that how personal these are. Yeah. We're not saying those aren't disturbing. They are. Oh, yeah. They are, but certain movies just hit personal nerves. Yeah. You talked about... um, Nothing bad can happen. Why that was your number one, and and it makes total sense. Yeah. And everybody's got their own thing. And Jason talks talked about his. I talked about mine. So yeah, uh, I can definitely see why all those films yeah. would get you and oh, be yeah. on your just just for us personally. Didn't quite hit us that hard. I'm surprised that we never mentioned Sallow. At least maybe maybe I am too. maybe also Angst. The funny story about Angst is we um a we friend have a copy at home. We have actually. a copy at home <laughs> that was burned for us by a 13-year-old boy who used to come to all of the fright clubs and he burned it in uh in German. It's in German. It's a German film. And so uh but he so he transcribed it himself. He added the captions himself because he couldn't figure out how to do that. Noah, our friend Noah. And if you're listening Noah, we miss you. Oh yeah, that guy. He you're was a grown-up now. Man, he could just a 13-year-old encyclopedia. Yeah. Of course now he's probably in his 20s. But uh, he was watching everything. And he was a budding filmmaker. He used to make films about, with his cat yeah. and, and his oh, dog yeah. and his dad. I mean, man, he knew it. So, uh, but yeah, thank you for all that. Very personal topic. And we got a, a great conversation, as you said, thanks to Jason. And great, great feedback. So thank you so much. You meant to talk about that at the beginning. But uh, we got it in. Yeah, we did. Got carried away. <laughs> we did get carried away. So uh, looking ahead to next time, we're, we're still waiting. Honestly, right now, we're waiting to see um, our beloved Gateway Film Center here in Columbus, Ohio, is set to open Memorial Day weekend. So we don't know yet if that means we're going to get back in front of a live audience in June or not. We might. We might. Um, and so that will that will have an effect on what we're going to talk about next. So we'll have more concrete info about our next topic soon, and we'll throw it out for recommendations and looking forward to uh, what you have to say about it. So until then, if you're not a member of the Facebook uh, group, Fright Club Podcast on Facebook, please send a send a request. We'll get you in there. It's a lot of fun. We have, we have some funny stuff. We have some serious stuff. Of course, we throw the topics out to uh, give us some guidance on, and it's just a lot of fun. Keep talking about horror movies as well. We say keep the conversation going. And on top of that, you can also find us on Twitter. It's at Fright Club Pod. On Instagram and Facebook, it's Mad Wolf Columbus. And the main website where you can find all of our written movie reviews and our other weekly movie review podcasts called The Screening Room. That's all right there on the main website at madwolf.com. Uh, keep in touch if you can. Until next time, she is Hope Madden. He's George Wolf. And this is the Fright Club Podcast. Hello, darling. This is Elvira, Mistress of the Dark. And stay frightful, my friends.